If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, if you're like me, you are instantly transported into another world by hearing this theme song. You are transported into a world for some of seeing really cutting edge comedic television. For others, you are transported to a world of Nick at Night and reruns and picturing people talking into their shoes. I'll tell you, whatever you do in the public eye, whether you're writing books, whether you're on television, whether you're on the radio, there's going to be some people that like what you do and some people that don't like what you do. And that's always been true in my case. Every segment we've done, every interview I've ever done, every monologue I've ever given, there's people that like it, there's people that dislike it. And hopefully the people that like it is a little bit greater than the number of people that don't like it. And last week, there was one exception to that universal truism, and that was the interview that I did with Barbara Feldon, who was an integral part of that program, Get Smart, as uh, legendary for her role as Agent 99, because I have been deluged with emails, uh, phone correspondence, SMS text messages, even some good old-fashioned snail mail all saying the same thing, that Barbara Feldon is incredible, she's super interesting, I had the biggest crush on her when I was a kid, and please have her back. And she has graciously agreed to return back to the program. Barbara, it was so great talking with you last week, and I appreciate you making time for us again. Oh, we had a lovely conversation. I had so much fun. Yeah, now hopefully this one is not too much of a letdown from that one, Barbara. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I just took a nap, and I just woke up. So <laughs> I'm envious of you on both counts. All right. Uh, Barbara, one issue that we didn't touch upon last week is, you know, obviously you're so well-known for uh, Get Smart, and you're so well-known for your interactions with uh, – Maxwell Smart, Don Adams, and uh, the two of you had such an amazing chemistry on screen. You guys obviously got married on screen and created a lot of comedy in the process. Who's there? It's me, 99. Let me in. I'm sorry, 99, but I can't let you in until you prove to me that it is really you. Come on, Max, it's really me. Sorry, 99, but you know the new control protective code. I cannot open that door unless I am absolutely sure that it is really you. <laughs> oh, it's you. Come on in. <laughs> so one question that I neglected to ask you uh, last week, Barbara, is how did you and Don Adams get along? How did you guys get along when you were producing great television like that and in subsequent remakes or, or sequels and whenever you had to do promotional materials? Were you guys the best of friends, the worst of enemies, or something in between? 
Um, I talk about this in my book, uh, the book I just wrote, uh, Getting Smarter. Um, and it, it was a, a, a strange kind of relationship. Uh, 99 and Max had instant chemistry. I mean, the minute we met, uh, well, it's, uh, the, minute, the minute Don and I became those characters when they said action, uh, uh, there was a tremendous uh, rapport between 99 and Max. Um, for Don and me, I think over the course of five years, I don't think we had five real conversations. And we were very nice to each other, very gracious, very friendly. Um, but we really didn't have much to say to each other. Uh, and then um, when... When the show went off, I, we didn't even call each other or anything. We uh, got a phone call that it was not going to be on, and that was the end of it. And then about 19 years later, we made uh, um, a TV movie of Get Smart, and uh, it was the first time Don and I had seen each other. And in the book, I say that it was as though little seeds of friendship had been sown in all of those years ago and had sprouted in the meantime and had blossomed by the time we saw each other again. And from then until the end of his life, we were very, very dear friends. That's wonderful. That's wonderful uh, to hear. You know, I actually rewatched that uh, TV movie sequel, Get Smart Again, and it's very funny. And the fact that it takes place a couple of decades after the TV series had ended I wonder if there was any sort of reluctance on your part or on the part of Don Adams to try to catch lightning in a bottle a second time. Was there a part of you that said, you know, the work we did was so interesting and so good. Maybe we'll just let people remember that as is. Uh, take me through your thought process in choosing to reprise your character. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, if they had asked me to do that movie a year after Get Smart or five years I probably would have been reluctant to because I was so, you know, it had, it had had its little time and it was time for it to go away and I was ready to move on. And, but it, with all of that time going by, the idea of seeing the, the same directors, the same producers, uh, and seeing the cast again, um, it, it it just was a joy. I just thought it would be wonderful fun to do, and they had you know such good writers, so uh, it was it was fun for all of us. Well, that's uh, that's terrific to hear, and I enjoyed watching it. Like I said, I just rewatched it, and uh, I thought it was uh, I thought it was terrific and very very clever. Uh, we're talking with Barbara Feldon, not only Agent Ninety Nine on Get Smart, but the author of the new memoir Getting Smarter. And if you want to check it out, you can go to her website, barbarafeldon dot com. It's also available on Amazon or anywhere else books are uh, books are sold. One of the other things that I happen to see you in recently is my wife and I are rewatching the TV series Cheers. Well, I'm rewatching it and she's watching it for the first time. And you are actually in one of my favorite Cheers episodes where you play a uh, regular, essentially an annual lover of Sam Malone. Now, by the time you went on Cheers, that show was already a hit. It was already the number one primetime comedy 
comedy in America. It got incredible numbers. Uh, how did you like that experience of being on Cheers? Well, I was such a fan of Cheers. I, I, you know, I thought the actors were just sensational and the, and the writing. And, of course, they had a wonderful director, too, Jim Brooks, who was also, I think, executive producer, probably had a lot to do with the writing. And so I was very complimented that they wanted to be on it. And when I saw the script, it was, it was so charming. The name of the episode was Sam Time Next Year. And Sam and I, uh, the idea is that Sam and my character met once a year, but time had gone gone mm-hmm. by, and we weren't as young as we were when we started this routine. And he puts his, his back, you know, goes out, <laughs> so we can't do anything. And uh, it, it was great fun. It was great fun working with him. Uh, so Ted Danson was a, was a nice guy to work with? Oh, he's such a dear person. Yeah, I I remember, you know, our whole scene, I mean, the scenes we did took place in a bedroom. And I remember just lying on the bed with him chatting. And uh, and he was just so easy to be with and so conversational. And um, I had I had a wonderful time on the show. I, since last we spoke, I have purchased a copy of your book and I started reading it over the weekend and uh, I'm enjoying it very much. And as you alluded to last week, so much of the book deals with your relationship with your ex-husband, Lucian, who you were under the impression was this glamorous European. And it, what you wasn't until after you were married that you found out he was not exactly who he appeared to be. What was the first inkling that you had that something about your husband's career or persona was, I don't know, fraudulent? You know, I think there were little red flags all along the way, but I was so in love and I was so in love with love. You know, I was so in love with the magic we had. And so I was kind of inventing him as as much as he was inventing his life. And I, but I, none of that really rose to my consciousness until one night when I found out everything. And uh, this was a guy who was as handsome as a movie star and who was supposedly the the brother of a very great film uh, film star, uh, French film star. And, oh, the backstory was amazing. His father was in the resistance. His mother died in practically his arms when he was a little boy. And uh, it, it was an extraordinary... I mean, this man should have been a writer. I mean, he, uh, it was an amazing adventure for me being in love with him and of course I married him within a year and then two years later in one night I found out that and he told me actually almost not a single not a single thing including his name was the same was you know who he was and I stayed married to him for another eight years uh, it, it, for a whole lot of reasons. And during those eight years, it, uh, he he led a very adventuresome life. He was a gambler, and and, um, and and there were times when I thought I was being followed by the KGB, probably wearing the same trench coat that I wore in Get Smart. <laughs> I mean, it was a very <laughs> exciting life. 
And I I left him finally because of the gambling mostly. And I and in retrospect, you know, I mean, the, the book is not a victim book at all. It's more the story of a girl who had these illusions about life and about love and and actually uh you know my dreams came true for a time until they didn't and uh what i learned from the whole experience and what i learned about personalities like that uh that are you know sociopathic i uh, that they are probably born that way mm. to extent which is a kind of a sad thing because then they are they didn't have a chance to be otherwise you know they were destined to become who they were i uh, he remains in my life the most exciting uh, person i ever loved and i think i was never as much in love again not out of cynicism but because i just never met anyone like that and i uh, and the adventure i had with him I wouldn't have missed for anything. It, it was, I mean, every day was, it, he was so expansive in every way. I mean, the traveling we did and the places we stayed and the clothes we wore and um, that I, I, I'm, I'm just grateful. To well, what, what a healthy attitude. Uh, that is uh, that is terrific. Now, I, I don't want to give away everything in the book because I want to encourage people to check out Getting Smarter, a memoir. Again, it's available on Amazon or in bookstores or at BarbaraFeldon.com. But I, this is such an interesting story. I have to ask you about it. You're divorced in 1967, and 16 years later, you happen to randomly reconnect with your ex-husband on the street of all places on Fifth Avenue in New York City. What happened? I I begin the book with that with with that event because I I barely recognized him, and this stranger sat down next to me. I was on the bus going to I was going to get off at the Plaza Hotel, and uh, and he was sitting there with a woman, and uh, I sat down next to him, and he turned to me and said, "How are you?" And I looked at him, and I thought, oh, you know, people people remember me from Get Smart, and Get Smart <laughs> has been off for a long time. And I started to say what I always do, which is, uh, no, you think you know me, but uh, you probably saw me on television, you know, years ago. And I started to say that, and then there were certain features of his that I did remember the cleft in his chin, his beautiful blue eyes, and I just gasped and said, oh my God, Lucien. And we had the dearest conversation on the bus, and he, as as I stood up to leave, it was just the way the sun hit him uh, coming through the window, that for a flash, he looked like the original Lucien. And I felt such joy. You know, at that moment, and, you know, we shook hands kind of formally, and I got off the bus, and I just watched it go down Fifth Avenue until it disappeared. And you never saw him again after that? No. 
Yeah. Uh, do you think you – now, we have a lot of people listening right now who may be single and may want to be in a relationship. Maybe some are younger. Maybe some are middle-aged. Maybe some are a little older. And I'm, I'm curious, given your experience with that whole situation, are there any – is there any advice that you would offer to anybody, male or female, as a cautionary tale in terms of how to uh, how to avoid a situation like that, marrying a con artist? It, you know, it's it's very hard because uh, con artists are surprisingly lovable. You know, it's I mean, everybody liked him, and uh, and I mean, more than liked him, had real affection for him, and and if they're handsome and they're extraordinarily intelligent as he was, I don't think there's any way you can be prepared. Because especially if you grow up in an atmosphere where you've never been lied to or sure. and you don't lie. So if if you don't lie, you don't expect people to lie. I think the people who would spot him, uh, someone like him, would be people who are like that, you know, and, and they would they would pick up on it. But people who are fairly fairly trusting, uh probably would just accept him because he was charming and and dear i i, I can imagine i can imagine I, so it, the, i guess the best advice in spotting a con artist is to become a con artist yourself there you go there you go uh barbara on let, the other hand i um if you're in need of romance, it's not a good position to be in. <laughs> I, can, yeah. I can imagine. Uh, let yeah, me end I with. Wrote an, I wrote another book called "Living Alone and Loving It." That's exactly what I was just going to ask you about, and I hope you'll come back again in the future. But you wrote that book about 20 years ago all about exactly that, living alone. Now, we have a lot of people who are keeping the radio on right now late at night because they happen to be alone and wear their company. Um, For people that haven't read the book, what advice would you give them on embracing living alone or at least making the most of living alone and not feeling as if there's a void to fill? Yeah, I think the first thing is that you're not alone. You know, there are people all around you. I mean, there's the grocer. (laughs) There's the... In New York, there's the doorman. I mean, to be able to feel yourself in the world of people. I mean, the the first key is to recognize you're not alone. And also to bolster that is to do the job, which you don't have to do as a couple because you are a social, you know, entity. The two of you, you have a built-in social life. But to do the job of making sure you have a lot of human supplies, lots of friends, and reaching out, and whether it's joining organizations or just, you know, making the effort to bring people in to, you know, bringing them in for dinner or, you know, getting to know so so that um, because people, people move away, they disappear, I mean, all sorts of things happen. So you need... You need to have a a supply of human connection that you enjoy. The other thing is to be comfortable with yourself and be creative and to get to know yourself and not to have to reach out in order to feel that you are stable 
and complete. Well, if people are interested in that, they can check out Living Alone and Loving It, A Guide to Relishing the Solo Life, which is also available at com. Barbara, the time always just flies whenever we uh, get to chat, and uh, I'm grateful for uh, you being on the program, and I hope we can do this again very soon. Thank you. I would love that, Frank. And you, you always ask such provocative questions. Well, thank you. You make it easy when uh, you've led such a rich life. Thank you very much. Barbara Felden, if you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you can do so at 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Obi Murray is here as well. We'll get his review of Barbara Felden's interview in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. love my Italian heritage and the food that goes along with it. That's why on Sundays after church I head over with my father to Italo's Fine Foods on Forest Avenue in Staten Island with our list from mom. They have two locations on Forest Avenue 1566 and the new one at 725. It's family owned and serving Italian specialties since 2014. They also have a full catering menu, the freshest meats, imported San Martano tomatoes from Italy and the best mozzarella. Order in store by phone or online. They even deliver. ItaloFineFoods.com I-T-A-L-O FineFoods.com Tell them Vinnie Madugno and W ABC sent you. Manja.